Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm not Matt Goldberg, I'm Paula Flalo, and I'm guest introing this very first podcast of 2014. And speaking of which, Happy New Year, everyone. We took a mini hiatus with the podcast over the past few months because Matt Goldberg, the founder of Confabulation and the host of this podcast, had his very first child and is experiencing fatherhood for the very first time. But now with 2014 uh, just a few days old, we bring you the new weekly edition of the podcast. Now, Confabulation, for those of you who don't know, is Montreal's premier all-true storytelling series. All the stories are 100% true and about the storytellers themselves. They're told without any notes, props, or gimmicks. The one exception to the rule is every December, Confabulation presents family stories where the storytellers don't have to tell a story about themselves, but they can share a story about their family, which is a lot of fun. And a lot of us have really interesting stories about our families. This week's podcast features a story from Matt Goldberg uh, about his family that he told three years ago at the Family Stories event. We don't have the original story, unfortunately, but Matt had a chance to retell the story at the No More Radio One Year Anniversary show back in November 2013. After the story, uh, stick around because there's an interview with Matt, and uh, guest hosting the interview is the choreographer Stephanie Robert, who's premiering her one-woman show at the end of this month here in Montreal at Main Lion Theatre. So you know what? Enough rambling, enough talking. Here is this week's story from Matt Goldberg. It was October... Uh, and then it was November, suddenly. We know how that happened. It Time. Uh, but there's a funny thing that happens. The day after Halloween, um, looking at me, you may or may not know, I'm a suburban, middle-of-the-road uh, Jewish kid in Montreal, so that means one thing. One thing that November represents, and that is, of course, the countdown to Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Am I right? Uh, growing up as a suburban, vaguely Jewish kid, uh, it might be surprising the prominence and importance that Christmas played in my, uh, I was going to say day-to-day. It certainly felt day-to-day because it seemed to stretch on for an entire year. My dad loved Christmas to an absurd degree. Like, honestly, uh, you go over there for Halloween, amazing, scary decorations everywhere. Well, scary, you know, sort of tacky, shitty scary, but scary. Um, but you go there like a week later and suddenly there's red, there's green and there's sparkle. It's like it's like St. Nick vomited everywhere and everyone has to be joyous. Otherwise, he'll push the button that makes the dancing, singing Santa Claus go and that's so upsetting and you don't want that. Don't make him push the button, guys. My dad was crazy about Christmas and would buy us like giant piles of garbage, like admittedly garbagey stuff but we were so excited because we were kids and there were boxes and there were a lot of them and it was Christmas to give you a sense of, of just how deeply rooted in his psychology this was I remember thinking like wait Goldberg we're Jewish what are we doing this Christmas thing and I remember asking him uh, I walked up to him I must have been like seven or eight and saying dad I don't understand why do we celebrate Christmas if we also celebrate Yom Kippur and take off you know school and work if we're Jewish why are we doing all of this Christmas why do we have a Christmas tree? And he looked at me, and without, you know, batting an eyelash, without, without thinking, he knew the answer right away. He said, well, son, it's because, it's because growing up, your mother always wanted a Christmas tree. And I thought, oh, what's well, about mom? And I walked away, and I thought, that's, so, that's great. My dad is a great guy. But it really, it, it, it's surprising. It took a year for me to realize, wait a minute. My mother, Mary Alana Fallon... Goldberg, always had a Christmas tree growing up because she was Catholic. 
like every year had a Christmas tree. And there are pictures that I had seen in this point of my life. Like I knew she had Christmas where she grew up. Um, so I guess he didn't lie to me because yes, my mom always wanted a Christmas tree growing up, but that was only due to the fact that she was Christian and always got a Christmas tree thereafter. Anyway, regardless, we had Christmas. And this is the thing about my dad is he doesn't really like to reflect on these things, but I realized that it was, it was mostly important to him. It was important to him, this idea that we get together and we celebrate and we steal someone else's holiday as an excuse to give away, you know, pretty crappy stuff, really. I mean, no, it was great. I love gifts. I love giving gifts. But the problem is that my family is miserable at it. And by way of example, uh, so uh, around the same time, I must have been like seven or eight. My brother Dan is 10. My younger brother Josh uh, uh, would have been four or five. And um, the thing to know about us is we were three boys. That should be obvious from that little intro. But uh, as three boys, you couldn't give any one of us anything uh, without that becoming like a nuclear explosion of tension and anger. Uh, not that my dad ever tried to avoid it. There was one year where Dan got this incredible board game, Hero Quest, which had all these little plastic figurines. And the minute Dan got it, we hated him with such a fury. And the next year, I swear, the next year, sure enough, there were two more copies of Hero Quest because all of Dan's pieces had gone missing, stolen by vengeful younger brothers. So... Every Christmas is a battleground, and uh, but it took us forever to realize that our dad would always dash our hopes and bash our dreams and make us fight each other. So this one Christmas, uh, probably around 87 or 88, um, we were, uh, you know, Dan really was excited. He was 10. And when you're a 10-year-old boy in the 80s, there was only one toy you want. And it is Transformers, and it is a lot of them. But the great thing about the late 80s is it wasn't you just, you didn't just want a lot of them. By the late 80s, they had created bigger Transformers. And if you had any self-respect, that year, the one toy you wanted was Omega Supreme. You know. The biggest. I mean, guys, you may not know what Omega Supreme looks like, but I want you to close your eyes and just say the name. It's Omega Supreme. It's like the end of the biggest. It is the biggest of the biggest. Um, other things turn into trucks and turn into, you know, cars or airplanes. He's a base that turns into like some other big vehicle that turns into a giantist robot. And it's awesome. Um, incredible. And Dan saw this and needed it. And Dan, uh, we used to get the, the Christmas wish book from Sears, I think, and he used to cut out pictures of Omega Supreme and like slip them under the door. Like this was what he needed in life. And that was Dan. And uh, me at the time, you know, I was kind of an awkward kid. And well, you know, we had moved a few years earlier, like three or four years earlier from uh, my old place. And I still felt sort of weird. And I didn't have a great, this was when my older brother started moving away from me. And Josh was still really young. So I didn't feel like I had someone in my life. So I really needed comfort. I really needed someone I could talk to. And uh, when you're that age, and it's the 80s, there's only one place you can go for that kind of love and comfort. And that is my buddy. My buddy, the doll for boys. <laughs> he was a little boy guy, and he was like, I want to go on adventures with you, and had like a backpack. And my parents uh, were happy with this. This is a step up because they were nervous about the implications of me wanting a rainbow bright the year before. But my buddy was a thoroughly masculine friend for those confusing 80s. Um, and I just saw this toy, and I wanted it. I remember the song from the ad. It still runs through my head. My buddy, my buddy, wherever he goes, I go, or something like that. Uh, it is exactly like that. I'm sorry. I really wanted my 
freaking buddy because I just did. Uh, a soft, squishy friend to follow you on adventures. Who wouldn't want that? Um, now, my youngest brother, Josh, was like three or four. So, you know, he wanted whatever someone gave him because his wants at that point were uh, immediate, right? That's a four-year-old kid. Done. So Christmas Day rolls around, and we're really excited because, you know, on Christmas Day, we did the thing. We got up at five in the morning and, like, tear down the stairs. And like, boxes everywhere. Everything is amazing. And um, finally, my parents get up at, like, six. Boring. And we get to tear up. You know, you choose the first gift. And Dan goes straight for the big box because the big box is going to be Omega Supreme, and it doesn't matter what anything else is. And he gets the big box, and he's looking. He's excited. He's really psyched. He starts tearing off the baby. And there, there it is inside the He-Man Chamber of Ooze. Yeah. No, if you remember the 80s, that's even worse because in the 80s, there was this obsession with slime toys and they were the worst. The slime stank. It was gro- It like destroyed carpets and clothes and self-esteem. And it was the worst, it was the worst toy ever. What you did is you took a He-Man and he went into the Chamber of Ooze and then get this, guys, you'll never see where this is going. You pour ooze on them. Done. Toy finished. So, um... Dan looked at this thing, and he's just, he's a little bit shocked, a little bit crushed, but, you know, whatever, our story moves on. Uh, I'm really, you know, I'm psyched, I see, like, a, a big box for me, I'm really excited, I'm tearing it open, I'm tearing it open, and I take it, and I don't know what this thing is. I'm looking at this thing, and it's certainly not my buddy, and as I'm about to say, what, uh, my brother looks over and says, what, Omega Supreme? And there in my arms was the biggest Transformer in the world. But guys, you can't hug an Omega Supreme. And I was defeated. And then Josh. Josh, you know, has to be sort of put in front of a gift. And he put him in front of the biggest gift because we've opened our big gifts. My dad's thinking we must be thrilled. And I think we're probably crying. But it doesn't matter because Josh opens with help his gift. And in his box, this giant box, is the biggest teddy bear I've ever seen. Like, it's the size of, like, a six-year-old kid. The problem is Josh is like three or four and he's terrified of it. (laughs) I want you to picture opening a box. There's a bear bigger than you in the box. It's awful. And he's upset and he's crying and I don't have it. But you know, the day goes on and you get past those gifts and you get clothes that don't fit and you get other things. But then something happens about partway through the day. Partway through the day, Dan looks over at me. He's like, Matt, you know, it's a complicated toy. Let me help you set it up. And then at some point, I'm like, Josh, this giant teddy bear isn't that bad. Look, you can just kind of squeeze in. And then Josh sees a big box, and he's four, so he's like, a box. (laughs) The thing I learned that day is you may not always get what you need in life, but your brother probably has it, and you can take it if he's not looking. (laughs) Thank you. Guest hosting this week's podcast, an interview with Matt Goldberg, is Stephanie Robert. I've heard you talk about kind of your your brothers a lot, and I'm wondering the relationship. Um, if I know with my sister and I, there's always this jealousy kind of thing. <laughs> and um, if you feel that all the brothers were treated equally. No. You know, the parents always say that they, they love all of us equally. And, and do you... Did you feel that that was the case? I think that each of us felt wronged in our own way. Mm. I think that Dan, who's the eldest, um, I certainly see how specifically my dad was harder on him in some Mm -hmm. regards. They had certainly more out-and-out fights. Um, 
And for a lot of my teenage years, he was a little bit separate because of that. He was always a little bit ostracized in that way. Ostracized sounds funny, but yeah, a little bit divided. I I talk about in another story the the politics of where you sit in a minivan. And uh, I had a huge chip on my shoulder about the fact that I was always pushed to the very back bench with my little brother Josh. Not so little anymore, but anyway, at the time, um, my parents used to refer to us as the littles or the Bicker Brothers, because we used to fight all the time. And that drove me crazy, because I wanted to be older and more mature. And I ended up being a lot closer in some ways with Josh, but also just I felt the way that my parents treated the two of us as a pair often would set us at odds with one another. So there was certainly jealousy about Dan's independence and older brother status, and also feeling that Josh was babied a little bit. Dan, I guess, felt like he had it the hardest and was a loner, was the eldest, was all on his own. Josh, I think, had a very different experience. Things got a bit strange with my family when we were older, and um, I think Dan and I pulled away a little bit more. I know specifically Dan went to you of yeah, I went to Ryerson for a year, and I went to Wales for a year, and Josh was, I guess Josh would have been 17 or 18 at the time, so older, but mm-hmm. certainly would have felt left behind at that point in time. And I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like that leaving behind was sort of emblematic of a larger relationship thing, that as things got weird, Dan and I kind of pulled away, Dan into his own stuff, me into Uncalled For and theater and whatever I could get my hands on, whatever I could do. Um, That doesn't really speak to the idea of parents treating one more than the other. But, I mean, I I think that's all tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we all thought the other two had it better. Mm -hmm. And I think we're now at a stage where we know that's not necessarily the case. But, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, even though we're all, I'm 33, Dan is 36, Josh is 29, um, that tension is still there. Like, not that tension, but that those anxieties don't ever really go away. That mm-hmm. a relationship forms, and, you know, you grow up around it. And I, I, I don't think you can love everybody the same way. <laughs> like, I feel like you can, love is so different depending on the relationships. Yeah. Right? So I think there's different definitions of love de- depending on who you're dealing with. Yeah, I think I I have a very, because of my (laughs) experience growing up, a very complicated understanding of of love. And I think any big family can speak to that. Five Mm. isn't even that big, I guess. Mm. You think about big families, bigger than three kids, but three was enough for us. (laughs) (laughs) And and now having, um, you're living that transfer of, of being in a family and and having parents and all of that and kind of becoming a yeah. family and being a father, um, do, you, do you feel that there's the, that transfer? How's that, how's that going? It's been, I mean, I'm still discovering it. Mm-hmm. It's been, uh, Ella is four and a half months yeah. as of this taping, and she's great. Um, mm-hmm. She's annoying, though, too. No, I love <laughs> her so much. Um, she was up all night last night, and there is something about... The relationship between commitment and love that you Mm -hmm. owe someone, that you need to give someone Mm -hmm. so much, that that, that turns into love in a kind of way. Mm -hmm. But I mean, no, from the moment I saw her, there's some, oh, it sounds so cheesy and so trite, but there is something, some very different kind of connection. It's something I didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. And having that kind of bond with another human being right now 
changes the way I understand my parents. Mm-hmm. It gives me a lot greater sympathy mm-hmm. uh, for my parents. I may not love everything that they did when I grew up, but I certainly understand them a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, love my kid. She's yeah. really changing the way I, I see my stories in my life. And I really worry that every story I tell over the next year is going to be a retelling of a confabulation story I told <laughs> in the first three years of confabulation with this new lens. Because this mm-hmm. is the second story now where I've been inspired to re-examine a story I've told um, mm-hmm. based on the fact that I've got a kid now. Yeah. It's like this different uh, perspective. For sure. Really. For sure. And And I guess... After this is released, Christmas will be done. I think this should go out on Christmas Eve. Paul, if you're listening, make this happen. (laughs) Christmas Eve would be the perfect time for this story to get out there. And I know know that you're Jewish. Do you want to know what I got my family for Christmas? No, I want to know if you're um, going with the whole Christmas, Christmas spirit that you talk about and that your your mother loved a lot and the whole Christmas mm. tree and if you feel that that's something that's important to kind of pass on to Ella. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that is bit the of the reason? story is going to... No, I was going to say, mm. I talked at the last Confabulation event about my mother's relationship with Christmas. I don't think it's going to be in this podcast because it was a okay. little... Yeah. Uh, I don't... It, it's a different story. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Paul, edit that out. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly going to... My memories, my life, I I have such a fondness for Christmas. Um, Having nothing to do with the religious message at all, everything to do with the idea of giving and sharing and TV specials. And Mm -hmm. I really love giving presents. And I really love getting presents. (laughs) No, but I I do like choosing something for someone who's important to me. And... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to give that up. And the magic of waking up as a kid on Christmas and knowing Santa was there, that was such an important thing to me as a kid. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people feel differently about that when they're older, but I don't. I love that power. I love that magic of of Santa Mm -hmm. Claus coming in and sharing. And, uh, you know, there'll always be a, a great gift from Ella's dad, but we'll certainly keep our chimney open as well. Mm-hmm. supplementals <laughs> yeah and um, it, did you receive anything as a gift yet that was disappointing this no year? <laughs> oh god I'm going to talk about this I just got from Josh um, a beautiful birthday present and I have no idea what to do with it um, I'm getting emotional just talking about uh, it uh, uh, Josh you, you can be proud you did this to me twice you made me uh, uh, anyway um so we just had this birthday dinner for mm-hmm. me and my dad. Normally it's Dan, my dad, and me, because we were born. I'm born the 12th, Dan's the 13th, my dad's the 15th. So normally we do all together, but Dan's in Ottawa right now. So at this dinner, um, I get a gift from my dad. And what my dad has done is he's, uh, in addition to giving me a card for my birthday, he found an old um, birthday card that was the last one that had my mom's name on it. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, my mom passed away this year. Um, oh, that feels trivial. Gross. She did. Um, so having this card was a very nice, it was a very sweet touch, and it was a little thing. But then I open up this gift from Josh, and it is a... Um, you were at the funeral, uh, mm-hmm. Steph. They had those three, we had those three beautiful pictures done of my mom 
done on canvas. And Josh took a photo that I really wanted, but we decided not to use for the funeral because it was of her with me and me as like a five-year-old. And we thought, you know, these were all photos of just my mom to remember her different stages. But there's a beautiful photo of me sitting in my mom's lap and my mom uh, looking happy. And as I remember her, and it's it's done on this canvas. And it, I unwrapped it and I just looked at it and we were... I didn't know what to say about it. It really floored me. And there was this five minutes of silence. We're just sitting in the room, and I don't know what to say. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to put this down somewhere where we can where it can be here, but not. Mm -hmm. So I go to put it on a, a chair, and then I realize as soon as I step away that it looks like my mom is sitting with us. I'm like, this is too creepy and strange. <laughs> so we have to move it, but... Oh, wow. It's not what you asked for. You want to know if I had a disappointing present? Not yet. I had a very emotional and <laughs> moving present <laughs> that I almost made ridiculous by um, putting it on a chair. Uh, oh, man. It's going to be a very strange Christmas. We're all going to be together, mm -hmm. which is nice. But yeah. um, it's going to feel very strange. And I'm going to feel funny for making fun of my wind-up radio that my dad will certainly get me or my ugly purple scarf that he's certainly going to get me, or the hand-knit mittens or something. Like, I'm like, I don't I need this. I love hand-knit mittens. Yeah, hand-knit mittens. <laughs> <laughs> he gets me stuff that's very sweet, but um, when it doesn't fit, is unreturnable, or is... And, oh, a wind-up radio was my favorite. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, I'm babbling. Well, so we're going to end that here. Okay. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you. Coming up on Saturday, January 11, 2014, as part of the Bougie C Dance Festival, Confabulation presents Broken Telephone, stories of misunderstanding, miscommunication, and complete breakdowns. It's happening at Mainline Theatre here in Montreal, and of course, it's pay what you can at the door, and the show starts at 8 p.m. Confabulation, the podcast, is a weekly podcast available at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from the Montreal Improv Theatre. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. For more information about Confabulation, head over to the website at confabulationmontreal.ca or .com because Matt bought both. And speaking of Matt Goldberg, you can catch him next week as he takes the reins as host of this very podcast. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.